Good evening, Newark UPC, and welcome to our evening broadcast. It's so good to be back in God's presence with you tonight, because yes, God's presence is with us wherever we are. And even though we can't be gathered two or three in his name in physical location right now, we can still gather in his name, and I am so very thankful for that. So welcome. Tonight, we are going to continue our study of the festivals and celebrations in the Bible. But first, let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear God, we ask you to be with us tonight. We ask you to help us each to learn something. Help me to speak your word and to transmit the knowledge and the feelings and the emotions that you want conveyed as we study these celebrations and festivals and, and times from the Bible that do apply to our lives today. So help us, Lord, and thank you for allowing us to come together once more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it is my honor tonight to talk about the highest of holy days holidays from the Bible, um, and the name for this in Hebrew is a fancy name uh, called Yom Kippur. You may have heard of it if you've been around the Jewish world at all or, or been a Christian even for a while. Um, it sounds funny, Yom Kippur. Uh, it actually just means Day of Atonement, not that actually sounds kind of funny, too, because we don't use atonement very much in our world today. So uh, let me let me break that down. And basically, it's the day of making amends or making reparations, I guess we would say in, in English today. So it's just Yom is the word for day and Kippur, Kippur, I guess, um, is is the day for atonement or or making amends. So this happened once a year. It was uh, at six months, about six months from Passover. So some of the same themes happen that happen in Passover, but it was at the opposite side of the calendar, so to speak. And it was the day, as the, as the name uh, insinuates, that the children of Israel's sins were acknowledged, pushed away, carried away, made amends for. So this is a this is a solemn holiday. Um, it later involved fasting and and almost a, a mournful feel to it because they were acknowledging all they had done wrong, uh, all the all the sins that they had committed during that year for the whole community. So let's talk about, about what happened on Yom Kippur. It's in Leviticus 16, if you want to go uh, read about it. It actually isn't a very large passage. It's, it's pretty cut and dried, what had to be done. It's a major subject because it was necessary to, to get rid of the sins of, of the whole people, but it actually isn't focused on in scripture that much it's pretty simple so what was it as i said it was once a year it involved the high priest the high priest was the one doing doing the things 
Um, it involved three animals. One was a bull and two goats. The bull was for the sins of the priest. The priest had to be made holy uh, before he could go into the holy place. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then there were two goats. And, and that sounds very, who cares if there were two goats? But I'm going to talk about why that is a beautiful thing and why it matters. So um, this is the only time of the year on Yom Kippur that the high priest was allowed to go behind the veil in the tabernacle or in the temple. And um, he went behind there for his very specific person. He, or, Sorry, specific purpose. He wasn't sightseeing. He wasn't just dusting the furniture. He was back there to do something very important, which was he took the blood of one of the goats. One of the goats was sacrificed. And he took the blood of that goat and he purified the Ark of the Covenant, the, the altar, the, the mercy seat. And there were specific things he had to do with this blood. And um, so the goat that was sacrificed was, was to purify that holiest place. He could, as I said, he could only go back there once a year and no one else could go back there. This was a thing that only the high priest could do and only once a year. The bull, I'm not going to focus on too much. It was to make the high priest himself and his family pure so that when he did go back into the holiest place, he would not be knocked dead by the spirit of God because, because he wasn't covered. Um, so we see in our, in our story here, as I've said, two goats. And I want to talk about the other one for a minute. The other one we we have nothing else like it in scripture that I know of. Um, and we call it the scapegoat. We use this term in our world even today. Somebody uh, maybe at work gets blamed for something that either they weren't the entire, it wasn't entirely their fault or maybe it wasn't their fault at all. And they are the scapegoat. Uh, maybe politicians have to find a scapegoat. And it's somebody that kind of takes the fall for everybody else. So this is actually a biblical term. We don't talk about it very much, but let me read Leviticus 16, 20 through 22. When Aaron was finished purifying the most holy place and the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. He will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. Let me pause here for just a second. We see here this theme that in order for the sins to be taken away, we have to confess them. We have to acknowledge them. Um, and that is still true in our world today. If we try to bury our sins or hide them up, hide them over, uh, they can't be forgiven. We have to acknowledge them and confess them. Anyway, um, so they confess all their wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specifically chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. As the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself into a desolate land. And the, the comment, commentary here is that 
this goat was taken off into an area that was so desolate that it would die. Um, now goats can eat just about anything and live just about anywhere, but this was a goat that was meant to take the sins of the people on its head and go into the wilderness and die. Um, we, we think about what Jesus did for us and it is a beautiful thing, this scapegoat, because at Calvary, in dying for us, Jesus not only was our sacrifice, which we'll talk about in a minute, but he also was our scapegoat. At Calvary, he literally took the sin of the world as a whole on himself, and it is no longer our sin. If we confess it, we acknowledge it, he has taken our sin away. He has taken our sin away out into the wilderness and he has died for it and taken it on himself. So it is no longer ours. Isn't that amazing? That is a beautiful imagery, symbolism, theme that the sin is not ours. It's not with us anymore. It has been taken away. Kind of like the old song that's hard to sing says, he took my sins away. And he keeps me singing every day because he's this scapegoat for us. And we hear a lot about sacrifices in the Bible because it's a common theme and it is it was necessary. But we don't hear about this one idea very much that Jesus in dying and taking our sins, he was, this scapegoat was a, was a theme that was in the Old Testament and then he fulfilled it. He fulfilled the law in the New Testament. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And that's what was going on with this scapegoat. God laid on himself all of our sins, took them away from us. So let's talk now about the sacrifice. Uh, because there was a goat and a bull that were sacrificed. Jesus on the cross took on him the sin of the world as our sacrifice. Hebrews 7, 26 through 27 says, He's the kind of high priest we need because he is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. He has been set apart from sinners and has given us the high place of honor in heaven. Unlike those other high priests, he, need, he does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their sins first and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once for all when he offered himself as a sacrifice for people's sins. So this is something we've heard a lot about, that Jesus dying on the cross became our sacrifice. And we have the images of, of the Passover lamb and the communion, which uh, is a time of celebration, remembering this sacrifice and how important it was. And Jesus not only was the scapegoat, but he also was the sacrifice. So he was all these things rolled in to one. We talk about one more thing which has to do with, with Yom Kippur. And that is that, as I've said, the, only the high priest 
and only once a year on this highest of holy days, was allowed to go behind the veil into the holiest place. Um, he had to be made pure beforehand by the sacrifice of a, of a bull. If he did it wrong, he was in bad shape. He had to do it exactly right because the, the Spirit of God, the holiness of God was back there and um, it couldn't come in contact with sin because God's holiness and sin don't mix and the holiness beats the sin every time. It would have been highly dangerous for him to do this. So only once a year, only the high priest, and only after purification and offerings and all of these things. Well, when Jesus died on Calvary, Matthew 27, verse 51 says, at that moment, this is the moment that Jesus is calling out that he's, he's dying. At that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So, Imagine that the priests in, in the temple, in the holy place, not, the, not where the altar or the um, Ark of the Covenant was, but the, the next area out. Imagine they're in there uh, doing their jobs, doing the incense and the showbread and the candlestick, taking care of those, uh, that furniture in there and doing the things that had to be done with it. And all of a sudden... This veil, which I've heard was very, very thick. It wasn't just something that, you know, you take a sheet that's old and you rip it. It wasn't like that. It's a very thick woven veil. And the moment Jesus died from heaven to earth or from top to bottom, it just ripped open. Nobody's touching it or doing anything. It just rips open. And at that moment... No longer was God's presence confined to that holiest place. No longer was it only the high priest who could go behind it. No longer was it only once a year. Now, since the sacrifice, since Jesus took the sins and took them away, we have access to the presence of God. And... What a beautiful, beautiful thing that no longer is it only the high priest once a year, but we, as the children of God, even Gentiles, can access the presence of God. And not only that, but the presence of God lives inside of us. And we don't have to offer these sacrifices, and we don't have to choose a goat anymore, and we don't have to have... A high priest with special clothes and and special uh, purification rituals and things like this in order that God's presence doesn't strike us down because it's so holy and we're so sinful. No, Jesus took those sins away. He sacrificed himself. He became our scapegoat. And now we can access the presence of God at any time any place, not just in the holiest of holies, not just once a year on Yom Kippur. 
but we can have the presence of God with us in our lives. And that, my friends, is a reason for celebration. Even though this day that I'm talking about was a day of almost mourning, it was a day of sadness because we have these sins that have to be taken care of. And if you don't do it just right, bad things will happen. And um, this weighty matter of Yom Kippur on the Day of Atonement, we have this nasty job that has to be done because we have these sins. No, no, no. Now, Jesus has been our sacrifice. Jesus has been our scapegoat. And we, as the children of God, have access to the presence of God anytime, any day, anywhere. And we don't have to be afraid that his holiness is going to strike us dead if we didn't do exactly everything right. He is a God of grace and he loves us. He wants to be with us so much that he actually comes and lives inside of us. Now, if you think about that, how his holiness fits inside of us, knowing that his holiness in the Old Testament, in the holy place, would strike you dead if you didn't do everything exactly right. How does his holiness live in me as a sinful creature? The only way that happens is that Jesus was our sacrifice. He was our scapegoat, scapegoat and he has taken our sins away, far away from us, into the wilderness, and died. And the sin of not only me and you, but the whole entire bulk of the sin of the world from beginning to end. All of the atrocities, the genocides, the abuses, the uh, bad thoughts and urges, all of those things he has taken away from us. And I'm so thankful. And let's remember in our daily life that we can celebrate we don't have to have a day that's all mournful and fasting and, oh, we have this thing to do. No, God has done it for us and we can celebrate and he wants us to be happy and, and to play and rejoice in him and thank him for these wonderful things he has done. So I hope that as you go through your days and as we celebrate every evening coming together, what he's done for us and learning about him, as we walk through life, when we come back together, what a celebration that will be. Because God, Jesus, has taken our sins away. He has done the Yom Kippur of all time. And we no longer have to have goats and bulls and things like this. Because he was our sacrifice and he was our scapegoat. So I hope you've learned something tonight. And I hope that we can focus and celebrate about this wonderful thing that Jesus has done for us. Have a great evening and I love you all.